0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings 13. And the last time we looked at uh, chapter 12 with, the, with King Joash of Judah, who did a great job while his mentor, Jehoiada the high priest, was alive. Once Jehoiada passed, he, became, he did evil. Joash is one of those people that, you know, you can even see it today, they're so easily influenced. Some of them are in very influenced for good, and at the same time, they're also influenced for evil. They're like chameleons. Depending on which crowd they're in is depending on how they're influenced. To me, personally, I'd, I would rather somebody hear the word and not be in a hurry to come forward and, you know, pray about it, consider it, and count the cost, like Jesus says, than just kind of fly up because of their emotions. Uh, because then, you, you know, there's something at stake. Jesus said to count the cost. And there are costs when we follow the Lord. Uh, but Joash was one of those people where, whichever the wind blew, there he was. And it's, it's sad. It's sad to watch today, too. But we're going to look at the spiritual situation in Israel. Now, remember, Israel at this time is divided into two nations. For those, I mean, my Wednesday night crowd, I'm pretty sure you're all believers. But um, a lot of people today in the world didn't realize that at one time Israel was split many years ago. Then it was kind of taken over by other nations, and it came together in 1948. So we're going to look at the northern kingdom. We're going to jump in in verse 1, chapter 13. It says, in the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 17 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. If we could put up the first image, I mean, I'm pretty savvy with the kings. I could probably, without looking, name all of them. But even I get confused sometimes because there's two Jeroboams, there's two Joashes. It gets a little confusing. Some of the names are very similar. So I'm gonna, we're going to keep that up for a while. But uh, Jehoahaz wasn't a good person. And if you're looking over here at Israel, Jehu, remember him? He killed two kings. He killed Jehoram, who was an evil king. He also killed Ahaziah over here. He was evil as well. And Jehu also killed this guy's wife, Jezebel, right? Now here's what's fascinating is on Sunday, and I didn't plan this. I just love it when the Lord does this. But we're in the book of Isaiah So there's going to be like a a nexus pretty soon as we get into the next chapter. We're getting into the time period that Isaiah was really preaching heavily. Isaiah preached during four kings of Judah, some argue five, but definitely Hezekiah, Ahaz, Jotham, and Azariah, also known as Uzziah. And tradition tells us that it was Manasseh who either took part or had Isaiah killed by torturing him, by sawing him in half. Okay, so we, got, we can leave that up. But unfortunately, Jehu that does a good thing in taking out the evil, but he doesn't take it out in his own life, which is really hypocritical. So Jeroboam 1 of Israel started all the calf worship. That was weird. And a lot of people in Israel followed that calf worship, and some in the southern kingdom as well. Verse 3, we continue... Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, all their days. So Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. For he saw the oppression of Israel, because the king of Syria oppressed them. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer, so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians, and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin, but walked in them? And the wooden image also, wooden images, uh, pagan worship, also remained in Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom. For he left of the army of Jehoahaz, has only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots and 10,000 foot soldiers, for the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. So here's a cry for help. There's idol worship. It's vile to God. it's really demonic. So God lets go of his protective hand, and Israel is now under attack again by Syria. In verse four, Jehoahaz, which is odd, is an ungodly man, worships false gods, but he, cr- he calls out to the true God when the chips are down. He knows that the real God exists. And you might say, that's weird. It's weird, the guy does evil, he worships false gods, but then when things are really bad, he turns to the true God that he knows is there. And I've covered this a few Sundays back. My friend, who um, he's an intelligent guy. We, we, he's interested in what I say. The Bible is intriguing Jesus, but he rather believes in aliens. Um, and he's waiting for the aliens to come. And, and these are this the conversations we have. And I basically tell him, you know the truth. You just don't want to submit to God. You don't want to be accountable to God. You don't want to change your lifestyle, because people know when you come to the Lord, there's things that have to change. And I got to be. I listen. I appreciate honesty. He doesn't want to change. The truth is, there's no th- no atheists in foxholes. You know, Jehoahaz realizes, man, we're in trouble. I got to cry out to God. And you know what? How much grief does sin cause? You know, if you look at this wrong, you blame God. Not this crowd, but people in the world. They read it wrong, they look at it wrong, their eyes are not spiritual eyes, so they see God at fault, but what they don't see is the fault of their own sin. And it isn't just the Israelites, it's with us too. And only when you're on this side of the eternity, you get that. Before I was a Christian, again, I didn't kill anybody, so I'm good. But when you start to understand God's word and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you understand that when you sin, when we sin, it breaks fellowship with God. This was an, obviously an extreme example. Leviticus and Deuteronomy both spoke about how God would protect the Israelites so long as they worshipped him and there was a relationship going on. Okay, And God makes unconditional and conditional promises. Unconditional means no matter what you do, this is my promise to you. Conditional means, if you do this, then I will do that. And we see that in the world as well. So verse 5, God raises up an unknown deliverer to save the children of Israel. Um, And we see this pattern in the book of Judges, so it sounds familiar. Samson, Deborah, the great female um, general warrior, um, and and these cycles. Israel sins, they're in debauchery. God says, okay, I'm out of here. Things get really bad, they cry out to God, they repent, and he sends them a deliverer, somebody to help them, to fight uh, on their behalf. Usually God gave them some great powers, you know. But it says, then the children of Israel dwelt in tents. Now what does that mean? It meant that they, they lived in peace. You have to understand the vernacular back then. So in other words, if things were really bad, they would run to the walled cities because they were just being invaded. So when it said they dwelt in their tents, they were outside, they were outside of the walled cities, meant that there was peace. So this is what's going on. You, want, you, you might ask, well, wouldn't, doesn't God see the future? Why would God even give them a break knowing they were going to go back to their old ways? Well, it's a good question. And first of all, when you look at the people as a collective, there was always a remnant. And there was always people that did repent, honestly. And they didn't go back to this bad behavior. The other uh, answer is that God is merciful. He's a merciful God. He gives everyone a chance at repentance. Um, You know, some people live crisis to crisis, and that's what you see a lot going on with the leadership. Jehovah has, he's an idol worshiper. Oh, things are really bad. Hey, let me call out to God. Oh, thank you, Lord. Let me go back to my idol worshiping. But in the world, what do people do? They go sometimes from crisis to crisis. Uh, with no lasting relationship with the lord and i have to listen i don't judge people because that was me (laughs) that was me in college crisis oh god oh god help me and then i'm still here so i survived and now we go back to my worldly ways and then when there was a problem again i'd be calling out this was my life um you know and and obviously eventually it took (laughs) So, so this is what god wants everyone to repent and come to him. And there's also a difference between repenting due to, um, oh no, this is bad, you know, I have no money, I'm struggling. That's one type of repentance or remorsefulness. But the real repentance that God is looking for is when we realize that we've offended God and we've sinned against him. That's really the more important of the two. Remember Judas, one of the disciples, was remorseful. I don't know if he really repented and he went and hung himself. And Peter was also a traitor and he was repentant because he knew he sinned against the Lord and he became one of the most incredible pillars of the church that we know of. So you can see a lot of profiles and character throughout the Scripture. Now in Proverbs 1, it speaks of seeking the Lord's wisdom, actually doing the Lord's will, and the consequences of not doing the Lord's will. So when you get a chance, um, check that out, Proverbs 1, definitely, verses 20, to 33. Verse 7, God allows the Syrians to whittle down the Israeli army to a few chariots, horsemen, um, really not a lot of troops because of their continual sinning and evil. Um, Spurgeon said once that God never allows his people to sin successfully. I like that. you know. And, and seriously, if we're born-again Christians and we get into some type of pattern um, we're not going to be fulfilled. You know, it may look good, it may be attractive, it may feel good, but we know in our heart of hearts we're unfulfilled because we belong to the Lord. So, in essence, you know, when I sin, He doesn't let me sin successfully. But that's good. <laughs> that's a really good thing, and you know, it shows that God has His hand on us. Verse eight, continuing on. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehovah has all that He did and his might are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. So Jehoahaz rested with his fathers, which meant he died, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash, his son, reigned in his place. So Jehoahaz died, and then Joash of Israel reigns, not to be confused with the Joash of Judah. So if you look at the chart, it's Joash or Jehoahash and um, the same thing up here. Two different people, two different places. And I think that's a really good chart. If anybody wants, I'll make copies for you. Um, it's, it's, it really does help to not be confused when you look at the two. Um, so this is what's going on. Verse 10. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, <clears throat> became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 16 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and he did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, but he walked in them. So another spiritual evaluation of Joash of Israel, it's not good. And this is how, you know, when when people sin, they affect others. You know, when Solomon sinned, King Solomon, he still had a united Israel. But he did such stupid things, and such idolatry, and he lives so lavishly, it's kind of funny, off the backs of the taxpayer, if I could use the term of today, that the people were tired of this type of behavior. So when Solomon wasn't the king anymore, Rehoboam, his son, he just has an attitude. He's a young guy, and he's like, you think that my father was, you know, basically paraphrasing, it's not going to be anything compared to what I'm going to charge you, and I'm going to do. So the people rebelled, because of king solomon and his son rehoboam the the, uh, kingdom split and when the kingdom split jeroboam took charge of the northern kingdom and he started all this weird calf worship you know so verse 12 continuing on it says now the rest of the acts of joash all that he did and his might with which he fought against amaziah king of judah are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of israel so joash rested with his fathers then jeroboam now, this would be Jeroboam 2, as if one wasn't bad enough, sat on his throne. This is Jeroboam the sequel. And Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. And there's a lot here <laughs> with all the, the lineage here. Um, there's a big battle, which we're going we're to read about next time, um, where actually a very horrible thing for God to have to see and the people to have to deal with because brothers were fighting with brothers. Um, over stupid stuff so the north and the south have this fight and and people are killed over it and we're going to look at that in the next chapter Uh, but joash names his son jeroboam which is not good jeroboam again helped the children of israel entice them to go after this calf worship Uh, it's like naming your kid lucifer or jezebel really not a good name but so here you got the first jeroboam which set it all up and then jo- Joash names his son Jeroboam. He's Jeroboam too. Um, we're getting close to the end, where the Assyrians come in and uh, really make a mess of the Northern Kingdom. Uh, just because the wickedness just keeps continuing, and you know something's got to stop. Something's got to give. Verse 14. This is interesting. Elisha, remember the prophet Elisha, had become sick with the illness of which he would die. So it means, you know, it's funny, Elisha was sick. We all get sick, right? We've had the flu, we've had something wrong with us. And so Elisha, except this one sickness, now it takes his life. Okay, then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. And he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, Take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times, then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it, but now you will strike Syria only three times. And what happens is this is the prophecy of Israel's victory. Uh, it did help them. Uh, would have been better if there were six battles instead of three, as we'll see, but he goes away from the lineage, you know, and then it, it focuses on something specific. And Elisha is sick now with this terminal illness. You know what I love? I love that when you read the whole Bible and you look at some of the false teachers today, you could say, ah, it doesn't sound right. I've read this before. You know, uh, Elisha got some type of illness. Um, Elijah was carried up in chariots of fire, but Elisha got sick and he eventually died and they buried him. And you have some of these these uh, people on Sunday morning talk about, you know, if you really have enough faith, you know, you'll, you'll be healthy and wealthy all the time. What does that say about Elisha? <laughs> what does that say about Christians today? Um, you know, it's really weird. The founder of Trinity Broadcast Network, Paul Crouch, died of a lingering sickness that killed him and he had all the big wigs all the heavy hitters with the big hair and the and the you know the fancy gold watches and the thousand dollar suits i might, probably even more than that i'm probably dating myself but they all prayed over the man and he died and he lingered you know god has a way of of exposing false teaching so here you got a guy like elisha we're, we're going to find that even his bones at death did miracles and here he is he couldn't save himself remember the apostle paul he couldn't save himself I asked, pleaded three times with the Lord. My grace is sufficient for you, the Lord said to Paul. So that's just all false teaching. But, but what's really weird is that just like Je- Jehoahaz cries out to God, Joash is also evil, and he goes to see Elisha. Amazing. You know, um, it's almost like the person doing evil may desire good living. Maybe they see it in somebody else, but they just can't seem to bring themselves to jump in with both feet. Uh, 14. Strangely enough, Joash says the same thing to Elisha that Elisha said when Elijah was taken up. My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen. That was actually a statement of faith. That was a statement of faith. That was acknowledging God, acknowledging God's connection with with his prophet. So here you got a man who's ungodly, does evil, and repeats the same thing that's said in 2 Kings 2.12. You know, many many that are practicing evil do know the truth, even though they won't admit it. Now, Joash might have thought, like has. you know, he, maybe he thought that Elisha's dying, um, the light of Israel is starting to go out. There wasn't a lot of righteous people back then. So, like, let me, let me go there. Let me honor him. Let me see if I could learn something. Let me see if I could glean his wisdom, you know. Um, you know, sometimes people that are practicing evil or wicked, uh, if, if they know there's some impending doom, they might consider changing. I don't know, I'm not in his head, but I can tell you that Spurgeon said this as well. He said, Dear friends, let us seek to live right, our lifestyle that even ungodly men may miss us when we are gone. That is powerful. <laughs> I found that Spurgeon quote. You know, let us live so that even the ungodly miss us when we're gone. And this was a perfect example of that. So Elisha's dying, still concerned about the nation, and that's that's really amazing in itself. It just talks about the man of God, the woman of God. You know, here Elisha is dying; probably knows he's going to die. They, they knew stuff. Um, Peter, Paul, in their writings seemed they give they give you tips that they, they knew that their death was was coming. Amazing. And what did they do? They just kept preaching. They just kept ministering. They just kept discipling. You know, I mean, there's some that are so self-absorbed that they're always focused on themselves. Here you got a man who's dying and so concerned about his nation, so concerned about changing the king's heart. And that's what true Christians do. They don't look out for number one all the time. They look out for what is God's will. Jesus Christ, the night of his betrayal... He's dealing with a bunch of disciples. Some of them are arguing. Some of them are being prideful. One's going to betray him. You know what I'm saying? He's trying to teach them something. And Peter, of course, is saying usually something that is antagonistic that he has to correct. You would think that Jesus would go in a corner somewhere and say, Oh, these guys. And even when he did go to be and pray, he still wanted three of them to come with him. And Jesus was always ministering to people. And as believers, we have to look at not just what's good for us, but how do we minister to others? How do we end? How do we finish the race? Very important stuff. You know, it isn't all about comfort. It isn't all about making money. It isn't all about things that, that help us personally. Are we even doing anything? Are we serving? Are we, are we making a difference? Do we talk to people? Do we do, we do anything? Right? These are important questions. But Elisha prophesies victory over Syria. And he does it. He illustrates it. By making king, the king, what, from my understanding, is he shoots the arrows out the window and they strike the ground. That's my impression of what's going on. And we'll talk about that too. So, of course, Joash only does it three times. He's rebuked by the prophets, as he should have done it five or six times. So now you're going to strike Syria three times, but it's not going to finish them off. You're still going to be under their yoke somewhat. And Joash, to me, is, is a man who, who lacks faith and the power of God, you know, and, and we don't do the world any favors when we go out there and talk about God as if he's anemic, as if he's, you know, well, I'll, I'll pray, you know, but I, who knows, with God, you know, he's so busy with all the things around the world, you know, but, you know, we, what we want to do is we, God is a big God. I'm open to him doing incredible things, but maybe the king was prideful, maybe you know, uh, if, if Elisha would have said, put on your uniform and, and take the shield and just go out towards the Syrians. Watch, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to topple them like bowling pins. But he says, you know, take some arrows. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my hands on you and just kind of shoot them out the window. Maybe the king was prideful. Maybe it wasn't something that... Uh, remember Naaman the Syrian? When he had the uh, leprosy, he almost didn't get healed because he was told to dip in, was it the Jordan? versus some incredible parfar and, and um, rivers, uh, waterways in Syria. And he almost didn't get cured because he was so full of pride that he was like, well, no, this, the man of God should have waved his hand and it should have just left me. And, and it was his servant who talked sense into him and said, just do what he says, and he, and he gets healed. So pride's a funny thing. It, it stops us from doing things that maybe God wants us to do simple things so he can get the glory, but we're looking for something a little bit bigger. Who knows? Uh, in addition, shooting the arrows indicated effort. You know and this, this comes up a lot. Uh, you, that God is going to do the powerful thing, but we also need to act in faith. Now I could lay in bed tomorrow morning, believe me, when I get up in the morning, this times I just want to just roll back over and uh, just go to sleep for another hour. I could lay in bed and pray all day and all night, um, you know, when this happens out in the neighborhood, when this happens in the church. But, I also have to get out of bed. You know, I, I've got to meet the Lord in the neighborhood or in the church. Um, and it's, it's a really cool relationship. And then, of course, give him glory for the big things. Um, so it's, it's a relationship. Verse 17, if we could put up the map of Israel. So Aphek, this is going to come into play just at the end of the chapter. Uh, Moabites, Right? just east of the Jordan. Well, this is the Dead Sea. Is the Jordan over here. So these guys are going to come in and raid. They're going to start raiding again. We'll, we're going to get to that in a minute. But this is the kingdom of Judah, right? Here's Philistine territory, and here's the northern kingdom. So Elisha is somewhere in this area, and um, um, and what's his name? Joash comes to see him has him open the window to the east and shoot the arrows. But he's really in western Ephraim, which is kind of right around here. So you wonder, why is he shooting the arrows to the east when the Syrians from up here, they actually usually travel this way, and they end up in this territory, and they start harassing the western end of Israel. Um, well, the theory, the understanding is that there's a lot of different reasons for it. Okay, so this is, it doesn't say it right here, but Aphek is around here. Um, the shooting the arrows to the east could be serious kind of northeast shooting at the nation. or the, And the nation's travels, when they would come and invade, they would, they would travel southwest. So technically if you're opening the window to the east, you're hitting them face on. Yeah, I don't want to beat this to death, but people ask those questions. Um, God knew. God knew. Five or six battles that you were victorious. The Syrians would go home with their tail between their legs. But you're going to strike them three times. It's going to be pretty effective, and they're not going to be as bad. Um, and only God could know these things, right? He knows the future. I, I love the battle between the Persians and the Greeks, and three major battles was the, barrel of, the Battle of Marathon, where we get the word marathon from. It actually comes from that ba- battle. It's pretty impressive. The Battle of Thermopylae and the Battle of Salamis. Nobody could have known that. But in God's prophecies, he knew that the Persians would eventually fall to the Greeks. Pretty impressive. Only God could know those things. So we continue. Continue on. Verse 20. Then Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders... And they put the man in the tomb of Elisha, and when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. So, yeah, that's pretty—that's uh, pretty good miracle, isn't it? <laughs> um, you know. So the Moabites are raiding, and there's a committal service, and someone's burying their loved ones, and you know, the people were terrified. These guys would come in on horses, or they would come in in groups, and everybody fled. They didn't want to get robbed. They didn't want to get killed. So they're kind of putting a man in the ground. Now, Elisha's been dead for a while. And they probably hastily threw him in there or dropped him because they had to get out of there. And he touches the bones of Elisha and he comes back to life. It's pretty neat, isn't it? <laughs> um, when you, when you, if you ask me that question, well, I, I don't get that. When we go into the book of Acts, uh, it says that there were a lot of unusual miracles. And usually when there were unusual miracles, God had a point in all this. In the book of Acts, the unusual miracles were to build the church. And the church had to sustain itself through all the martyrdom of the Roman Empire. So God really built a very strong foundation, and there was these unusual miracles that were happening in that time period. Unfortunately today, again, the false teachers, um, they buy a bunch of hankies for probably like $2 a piece, and, and they supposedly bless them, and they send them in the mail, and you pay $50, Great markup, uh, and supposedly whatever you do with that hanky, like, like the unusual miracle, miracles in, in book of Acts, you know, you, a miracle is going to happen. Meanwhile, they're making a fortune over handkerchiefs. Um, yeah, it kind of misses the point. really misses the point. But what, it, what, what could this possibly be a sign of? Well, it could be a sign that there was so much evil in the land, and people were so poorly behaved that... Even Elisha, who was such an obedient person, even in his death, he was a purifying agent to society. I think that's really pretty cool. So he's showing the contrast between what the crowd is doing and what God's few servants are doing. Even in their death, they're purifying the culture. Verse 22, And Hazel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz, but the Lord was gracious to them, had compassion on them, and regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not yet destroy them or cast them from his presence. Now Haziel, king of Syria, died. Then Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his place. From history, uh, Ben-Hadad wasn't as fierce and intense as Haziel. Sometimes you could have a king who's bent on war, and then he leaves, another one comes in. and He's more passive. You know, he's looking for reforms on the inside of the, uh, the nation. But he's not really a warmonger. So these things happen. And Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, recaptured from the hand of Ben-Hadad, Haziel's son, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, his father, by war. Three times Joash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. So, hey, He should have done six, but the three battles actually were able to save some of the Israelites from bad people that were ruling over them. That's pretty good. Uh, But I wonder sometimes, how many times do we not reach our full potential? How many times do we not be God successful? Because we're only shooting three arrows instead of six. You know, like I said, I'm open. I'm open to God doing incredible things, miracles. I've seen them. Um... You know, he's a big God, but I also don't presume that because I say say so that he's going to do these things. So it's a very interesting balance in in our walk with the Lord. Now, whether we're uh, teaching the Bible or whether we're teaching history or looking on the news, what do we see? Mostly bad news. There's a lot of evil. As I was thinking about the conclusion, a word came to my mind, and the word is contrast. You know, we see so much evil. We see so much loss by the numbers. However, God has the power to even raise the dead. So, yeah, a lot of bad things were happening, but I bet that story spread like wildfire, ended up in the scripture. Wow, he touched Elisha's bones and the guy came back to life. Amazing. Evil does not have the power to raise the dead. When Jesus walked the earth at a, at, a, at a word, at a snap of his fingers, at a thought. A guy was even dead four days in the tomb, rotting. Lazarus, come forth. God, comes back to life. You know, all that was rotted on him just became new. Um, that's what God and good has the power to do. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So the the, the gateway to the world being saved, the gateway to people's spirits being revived, to being born again of the Spirit, is through Jesus Christ. That the Romans and the political leaders and all those with the money and the power and the armies couldn't stop the story of the resurrection, couldn't stop those that were eyewitnesses from preaching the word. You know, so I'm just just saying this, it's just where we are in our nation for for a while now. A lot of evil, a lot of bad things. But as believers, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be a purifying agent to this culture. Even if it means that you're working with one person that was maybe hostile, antagonistic to God, and they're starting to soften because of your influence. That's where I want to encourage you, um, because... It isn't about the numbers. It isn't about the events, the catastrophes, what the news media are reporting. It's about what God can do through individuals. And collectively, that could be amazing. You know, I mean, I love following overseas news. Christians in Syria, Christians in Indonesia, these different countries, South Sudan, they're just being persecuted mercilessly. But it's amazing the effect that they're having on even their tormentors. They're persecutors, conversions, powerful, right? So, I would just say this, that through Jesus, there's power in saving the whole world and bringing it back to life, ironically. And that power, God has granted us through His Holy Spirit. Let's pray.